0: One of the things that we often take for granted, at least I know I take for granted, is um, my ability to see, you know, use my eyes. I think a lot of us do. We don't think about it um, unless um, by some tragedy we were to lose our sight. We'd realize just how important that is. In fact, I think if we could only choose one sense, you know, between taste and touch and hearing and, and, uh, and smell, I think almost every one of us would choose sight because you can function in a world without the ability to Feel something or smell something or taste something or even hear something, but to, to exist in a world where you can't see something, it's very difficult to function. And uh, I remember this being brought home to me uh, because I had the privilege of of, uh, of teaching a, a, a young man who was born blind. And I, I, uh, I went to his house once a week and I taught him how to play the horn. His name was Chris, born blind. And uh, interestingly enough, he's the only person I've ever met who had perfect pitch. Uh, couldn't see, but I could play any key both black or white on the piano, and he could tell me exactly what note it was i 'd play a b flat and he wouldn 't say well that 's a, a B, kind of he 'd say no that 's a b flat pretty amazing young man and then I later had an opportunity to be his his youth leader, and so I got to plug into him quite a bit. but um, being around him, I realized how much he 's dependent upon on other people, so he had his you know, his cane that he would use out in the open, but when he got to our house for a youth agra- event or something, he would put away his cane, and he'd usually grab either my arm or somebody else's arm, and uh, and I remember there were certain times, and I hate to say this, but where I just re- didn't realize how dependent upon me he was for being his eyes, so we'd be lo- walking along, and I'd accidentally won- run him into a wall, and um, he's like, Dan, you can't you can't do that, and I'm like, oh, that's right, or off a step, you know, I just see the step, and I'm just grabbing Chris and kind of false. And uh, I'm like, he's, Dan, you can't do that. And it I took a while to realize just how dependent upon on me he was or others he was for his sight. He just, just couldn't see. And it's just, you know, that experience being um, close to a, a, a young man who was born blind just made me realize how precious it is. I mean, how, how can one appreciate the beauty of a sunset or flowers or a field or green hills or oak trees? Or um, I realized that Chris never saw his mom. Never got to see your face. I knew, knew them both. They're neighbors of my parents. Never got to see their faces. Never got to see um, his brother's face. Uh, he got married years later. Never got to see his bride's face. I just realized, wow, how much beauty is lost. And I remember times I was, you know, trying to put yourself in another person's shoes. I, I actually did this. I was just like, okay, what is Chris like? I was in my 20s at the time, so I'd close my eyes and I imagined myself, trying to just make my way through into the kitchen, different things, and I'd bump into stuff, and I realized how dependent I was. But the thing is, is I always knew I could open my eyes. And I can't imagine not being able to open my eyes. Uh, sight, such a precious thing. But, you know, there's something else that makes sight possible. Um, that these eyes that we have in our head are absolutely pointless and useless, useless and worthless if we don't have light. Without light, these things don't work. And if you don't think so, go into the men's restroom and wait till somebody turns out the light on you, which happened after the first service. And you're left in there, groping around, bumping into the sinks, walls, or worse, and uh, you realize, wow, without light, I can't see. These things are useless. Well, in this chapter, chapter 9 of John, Jesus declares something about himself as it relates to sight. That is, he is going to declare to us, he first declares it in chapter 8, and then he digresses, and then he comes back to it in chapter 9 in a way that illustrates it. He says, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world, and I realize that I did not put anything up here yet. There we go. It says, I am the light of world now we're so used to that phrase that we actually don't really grasp the enormity of what he says to a jewish person light was most often associated with yahweh himself i mean yahweh is the one who led his people israel in the darkness as a pillar of fire by night that is a pillar of light that the psalmist would say of the lord the lord is my light and my salvation like yahweh is my light that's Psalm 27, verse 1. Or the prophet Isaiah in chapter 60, verse 19, would declare to the people of Israel that the Lord will be your everlasting light. It's not that he just gives light. He is your light. Or one of the, the best blessings, in my opinion, in the, in the Old Testament found in the book of Numbers is like, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to, what's the next word? Shine upon you. That's Light. So in light of all of this like Old Testament stuff that declares that Yahweh is the light, Jesus shows up in the world and he says, I am. He doesn't say, I give light. He says, I am the light of this world. That's a highly significant statement. He's declaring, I believe, that Yahweh has arrived and his light has arrived to give, in, to give sight to a world that has been covered in darkness, not physical darkness, but moral and spiritual darkness. That we have become darkened in our understanding. That we no longer worship God as the invisible creator, but we worship the creation itself. We work, worship created things and our, our understanding is darkened. Our hearts are darkened. So we lose a sense of who we used to be, who we are now, and who God is. And our, our purpose and meaning and, and our belonging and all of that stuff is lost. We are blind and, and in a darkness. And Jesus in that context says, I, I am Yahweh, the light of world. And that is the subject of this chapter. This chapter. And it all takes place around a miracle that he does. Now, I think this chapter, personally, is one of the most intriguing chapters in the Gospel of John, because it is ironic, it is sarcastic. You don't get a lot of sarcasm in the New Testament. Sarcastic, but filled with truth. It's ironic because the people that you think should see the people who know their Bibles the best, and the people who go to the church the most, the people you expect to see by the time you get to the end are blind as bats. And the one person who doesn't see, who's blind, by the time you get to the end of the chapter, he's the one who truly sees. That's 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 the irony. Well, as I said, it, it starts off with a miracle. And that sets the stage, and that is the platform upon which Jesus will show himself to be and declare himself to be a light of the world. This is how it begins. Verse 1. As he passed by, he, speaking of Jesus, saw a man blind from birth. Now, I want you to just n- note or log this away. That the, Jesus is the one who directs his attention to the blind man. Jesus saw him. Attention was drawn to this man by Jesus. He saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, now if you read chapter 8, I think these disciples are not simply the 12, but a larger group of disciples who were kind of quote-unquote believers. They asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? They're looking at the blind man. Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, night is coming. And I think that's a reference to his death in which darkness will will enfold the Son of Man. When no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go, go. Wash in the pool of Siloam, which is in Jerusalem, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. You know, in our time, um, fortunately for those who have lost their sight, we have advancements to help them be functional and productive in our world. We have Braille by which they can communicate and read and understand. Uh, We have seeing eye dogs. We have stoplights with different sounds so that somebody who can't see knows it's safe to walk. Uh, we have computers that blind people can use and can communicate, do research, do work. They can produce things. I, the Chris, I, 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 I talked about a f- couple of moments ago. I, I've been in a chat conversation before with him. It was like he was on the other side of a computer looking at a screen chatting with me, and I'm like, wow, I, it's, it's amazing. Like, what... Um, people without sight can do these days. Well, none of that was around back then. There's no braille. There's no seeing eye dogs. There are no computers. None of that stuff. A person who was born blind was consigned to begging for his existence, and he depended completely upon the mercy of those who passed by to maybe take mercy on him. So that, that, that's where he's at. It's kind of a, a, a bottom rung, if you will. To make matters worse, the community around him now let me just back up and say from a social vantage point this man was functionally worthless functionally worthless he added nothing to society he just was a beggar but to make matters worse the opinion of the people who knew him or saw him believed that his blindness was a result of the curse that's why his disciples say who sinned this man or his parents in other words this blindness has to be a product of his guilt or his parents' guilt. You know, th- th- those two things. So he's, he's, he has physical defects, but now he's morally defective too, under the curse, like double whammy. There's bottom of the pile. That's who he is. Bottom of the pile, viewed as not only someone who is functionally worthless, but somebody who is morally cursed as well jesus notices this man jesus saw him and jesus comes to him and jesus first of all wipes away the misunderstanding says answers him he says this man wasn't born blind because of either sin that he committed in the womb of his mother or because of his parents sin but Now, there's times, by the way, when sin is, or excuse me, a defect or a disease is a a result of sin, but not always. Job certainly was not that case. And in this particular case, it was was not anyone's particular sin that resulted in this. But Jesus goes on to say, listen, this man's suffering is like a tapestry on which I'm going to show the grace and beauty of God's power. Just a reminder for all of us, it's not the main point of the passage, but a reminder that suffering in this life on the part of a christian is the canvas upon which god often works his best work so here he is this this man double whammy functionally worthless and what people believe to be under a curse and jesus spits on the ground now this sounds disgusting but he makes clay and then he anoints this this man's eye with mud now, there's a lot of explanations for why he did this. I think the best one, in my opinion, is Genesis 2. In which God took dust to the ground and he formed mankind and breathed life into him. And kind of in a, in a you know, way that connects with creation, in the beginning, Jesus takes mud or clay and he puts it on the man's eyes. Almost as a sign of new creation. And he says, listen, go and wash. And so he does. So naturally, he would have had to have been led down to the pool of Siloam in Jerusalem. And he does. You just picture him, you know. And he was an adult. Later on, you find out he's an adult. So this is a, a, a condition that's been for a long time. And he washes his eyes. And I, man, just, you have to live in this part of the story. And by the way, this chapter is way too good to summarize. You just got to kind of read it. Um, he he washes it off. And for the first time, He sees. S- A person who's born blind doesn't have a clue. What does the sunset look like? What does the color blue look like? You don't know because you've never seen it. So how can you imagine it? You can't. Um, What what does a mountain look like, or the stars look like, or clouds, or a storm, or lightning, any of that stuff? And in this moment, a man who's only known darkness sees. If that was me, I would have been so explosively overwhelmed with joy, you know? sky and clouds and seeing children running in houses and and seeing the temple for the first time it's just been amazing if I was you you would have thrown a party if that was you you would have sang a psalm you would have written a hymn you would have i don't know whatever you do to celebrate you would have done so would have i and you expect that from the community that's around him who's seen this man blind sitting there begging day after day all of a sudden he's jumping around but there's no party there's no party at all. In fact, the neighbors, this is the part of the story I'm not going to read. The neighbors see him, and they're, they're saying, is, is that the guy? No, no, that can't be the guy. He's, he's walking around. He's not stumbling into things. He's not tripping on the curb. That's not him. They're like, no, that's him. Befuddled, bewildered. And so what they do, instead of just throwing a party, they grab this blind man. They bring him to the Pharisees. They need someone to make sense of what's happening. And what ends up happening isn't a celebration, but a threefold interrogation. It's like CSI. We're gonna find out the criminal behind this miracle. They brought to the uh, to the Pharisees the man who had been formerly, formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Good work of healing on the wrong day. Important note. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight, and he said to them, he put mud on my eyes, and, and I washed, and I see. That's a simple statement of the facts. He put mud on my eyes, I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man, referring to Jesus, this man's not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. He did a good thing, but on the wrong day. That's a problem for us. But others said, you know, the other side of the argument, how can a man who, who is a sinner do such signs? Like, there's no way of Denying the fact that he used to be blind, we've seen him here year after year, probably for almost two decades, and now, he's, now he sees. And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? And the man responds, he's a prophet. I, I don't know how confident he was that Jesus was a prophet, but that's the blind man's sense. This is the interrogation. That's interesting here at this point because Jesus' miracle does not fit in their box. Jesus' miracle, this testament that he's the light of the world, does not fit within their thin and mistaken, flawed, twisted, man-centered understanding of their Bible. Now, there is no place in the Old Testament or the law of Moses, the Torah, where it says you cannot heal on the Sabbath. But in order for the Jewish people to both manage and control their behavior, largely out of fear that they would break a commandment, they created these traditions to elaborate on, so what does it actually mean to break the Sabbath? And they had all kinds of rules that weren't actually biblical, they were traditional. One of which was you cannot heal on the Sabbath, can't do a good thing on the wrong day. Another one was that you couldn't knead things, like you'd knead dough, and probably when he took mud and for all practical purposes, needed it. Um, he was probably breaking their tradition there too. Other rabbis believed that if you anointed the eyes during the Sabbath, that it was uh, considered a breaking of the Sabbath. So it's like three strikes against Jesus. But understand, it's their misunderstanding of Scripture that's precluding them from understanding what's really happening. In, in this sense, their twisted understanding of Scripture is actually blinding them. Well, they can't ac- accept the testimony either of the neighbors or of the blind man so what do they do they call in the parents this is interrogation part two it says the jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received sight and asked them here's the parents now they're on the witness stand uh Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? And his parents answered, We know that this is our son, fact one, and that he was born blind, fact two. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He's an adult. He will speak for himself. And here's the reason why they're only willing to give bare facts as his parents. Yes, this is our son, and he was born blind, period. Don't ask us anymore. Parentheses. This is what's going on behind the scenes with regards to Jewish leadership and Jesus. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. They feared those in power. They feared those with the religious reins. For the Jews had already agreed beforehand, already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was uh, to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he's of age, ask him. They're already gunning for Jesus. They've already decided he is not the Messiah, despite the fact that all the evidence now points in the opposite direction. Let's just pause for a second here. Here is this miracle. The blind man now sees. The neighbors have testified. The blind man has testified. And now his mother and father have testified that, in fact, this is a restoration of sight the likes of which no one has ever seen. But they're still unwilling to believe the witnesses. Jewish law says that the truth of something is established by witness of two or three. Here you have a whole community of people saying this is a bona fide miracle. And they still refuse to believe. In part, I think, because of their prejudice judgment of who Jesus already is not they've already concluded they've already agreed that Jesus isn't the Christ which is why they're going to kick anybody out of the of the synagogue if they confess him to be so prejudice a preconceived conclusion about something without thoroughly examining the evidence evidence is right before them but they refuse to believe do you get the sense that maybe they're blind interrogation number three. They still don't believe, so they're going to go back to number one. I'll apply this in a second. Back to, they bring the blind, the former blind man, back in second time. And this is where it gets sarcastic and nasty. So for the second time, they called the man who had been uh, blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man, referring to Jesus, is a sinner. Now they're, they're unified. There's no more division amongst these Jewish leadership. We have concluded that he's a sinner. So give glory to God and and acknowledge that. And and, uh, he answered this man, the blind man, former blind man. He says, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. Sounds like amazing grace written long before Newton ever wrote it. I just know that I used to be blind, and right now I can see you guys. You know? That's what I know. And they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Now, mind you, they've already asked him repeatedly this question, and he's given them the same answer. He put mud in my eye. Have you ever thought maybe you got mud in your eye? Maybe it came out of this? I don't know. Uh, You know, he gave him the answer over and over and over again. So he answers them and says, I've told you already. Do you get the sense maybe he's a little bit exasperated? Like, how many times are you going to ask me the same darn question? I'm going to give you the same darn answer. He put mud in my eye, and I washed him, and I could see. That's it. I've told you already, and you would not listen. Now, not only are they blind, now they're deaf. Uh, why do you want to hear it again? And here's the bit of sarcasm: Do you also want to become his disciple? It, do you also want to become his disciple? And at this point, their fury is unleashed, and now we get to see their true colors come out. Interesting when, when Jesus works, it oftentimes has. A way of bringing what's inside on the outside of exposing sin listen side note when you pray for Jesus to bring revival in your life you can sure bet that he's going to show you the colors of your heart in ways that you're not going to want to face so after this little bit of sarcasm end of side note I just keep that in mind when I'm praying for revival realizing that the depth of revival is almost proportional to the depth of God uncovering the ugliness of your heart. You don't pray for this if you don't want this. And this is how they respond. They're upset, they're angry, they're reactive. And they reviled him saying, you were his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. That's a bit of an of a, of a irony too. Because Jesus earlier in the gospel of John chapter 5, he said, listen if you were really students of Moses, and you really read Moses properly, you, you'd accept me, because who did he write about? He wrote about me. So declare yourself a disciple of Moses and not get who Jesus is, is a conflict of, of, of enormous proportions. like, no, Mo, Mo, Moses, what he wrote about in the sacrifices in the temple, and all of those things pointed to me, here I am, but you don't get me, so you didn't get Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, again, sarcastic, why? This is an amazing thing. He said, This is a blind man, I love him. This story reads so great, in my opinion. You don't do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does now. Here he's gonna make a theological stand, and he's gonna testify to his own faith. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began, nowhere in the Old Testament, has it been heard of that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. He's affirming that Jesus is from God. Bold and courageous, surrounded by wolves. And they answered him, and here all I can do is revert to personal attack. You were born in utter sin. It's utter sin. It's not, not just you were born in sin. Most people could accept that. You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out, rejected it's, You see, that, like... The ones who should have got it, the ones who went to church all the time, the ones who understood their Bibles more than anybody because a blind man couldn't read, the ones who should have seen, by this point, are blind as bats, and their colors of their heart have come out. They can't even see not only who Jesus is or the fact that there is a bona fide miracle before them, but they don't even see their own sinfulness. And the way in which they treat this man is, is horrific. Blind. I just throw these out because these are just like my own meditations on on blindness. You obviously see their own religious pride. They think they have a corner market on Moses. And in their religious pride, they cannot see who Jesus is. They cannot hear clear witness testimony. You see a manipulation of biblical truth. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, Jesus would say. It's interesting, it's not just having the scripture that's enough. They had the scripture, it wasn't enough. It's understanding the proper center and subject of scripture, which is namely Jesus. And where he is not the primary subject and center, you end up way off. And if you end up way off with the scripture, you end up being blind. And if you manipulate or misinterpret and misapply it, you end up blinding others too. Interesting, huh? you can be blinded by scripture itself. All of these, by the way, are a, a, the fruits of pride and sin, or prejudice is another form of their blindness. They s- came to conclusions about Jesus before ever examining the evidence. That happens all the time in our day, doesn't it? People conclude who Jesus is without ever considering the facts of who he really is or listening to the documents that actually reveal his works and what he said. And then at the end, you just see their hate and injustice towards this man. This The this colors have come out. Isn't that one of the... One of the results of light, ugliness is seen. And here, Jesus has manifested a beautiful grace. He's brought a, a blind man to see a beautiful grace, and they can't see it. But that's not the end of the story. The end of the story is, is awesome because at this point, the blind man is rejected and back out on the street. And look what it is. This is this love. So Jesus. This is so God. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, Up to this point, he's never seen Jesus. When he met him, he was blind. He went to the pool of Shalom, came back, he still hadn't seen Jesus, doesn't know who he is. So he asks, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, this part kind of makes my heart shudder. You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into the world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Jesus is the light of the world, and some men will be blinded by it. Others will be liberated by it. Some will be judged by the fact that they don't acknowledge the light. Others will be freed and liberated and forgiven because they have seen the light. Judgment and salvation, light of the world. Fascinating pieces in here. You know, I love the fact, remember I told you to log away the fact that in verse 1, it says that and Jesus saw him. Of everybody that there's there in Jerusalem, he picked out the guy who was born blind. And then after he's kicked out, the indication is he went to look and search for him. It says, and having found him, he said, Jesus sought him out. That is, like I said, so Jesus and so God. Because before we ever found Jesus, he first found us. Like he's the one who takes the initiative to find this man who had made a stand and at least some kind of confession of faith and takes the initiative and found him. Oftentimes our vocabulary is, man, I found Jesus back in 1985. And maybe in some sense, by your experience and from your side of the tent, you did find him. But listen, you didn't find him without him first seeking you out and finding you. Oh man, in 1985, Christ found found me. Who says that? And not just found me or took the initiative, maybe in a conversation with another Christian friend or hearing a sermon or hearing Billy Graham. You heard him speak and you realize that it was true. And in some way, Jesus revealed himself to you. And that's what he does. You know, sir, who who is he that I may believe? in? Jesus says to him, and again, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Yahweh was a pillar of fire to lead in the darkness, his people. And here Jesus, the light of the world, is standing before this man formerly blind, saying, I'm him. Face-to-face encounter with Yahweh in human flesh, the light of the world. And the result, the result, belief in worship. I believe, I don't care if they kick me out of the synagogue, I believe. And he bows down in worship, which means he saw Jesus as something other than just a mere man. That he found in Jesus the Redeemer, the salvation of Israel, the Savior of Israel. Um, he found grace, found mercy. He found a beautiful gift in Christ. That's You see, the story is so amazing. Those who in many ways are closest to religion, end up being blind. The ones who should have seen can't see. And the one who is born blind is given eyes to see not just a physical world, but who Christ is. And discover in him amazing grace. Now this story, I think, brings us to a very pointed question. You're here this morning because at some level you're religious. At least that's what people would say. At some level, you probably know this. It is entirely possible to be really close to religion and to be blind. And I think the question that it it brings me to and it should bring us to is, okay, here I am. I'm one of the people who is quote-unquote religious, close to the book, close to God. Do I see or am I blind? Do I see or am I fooling myself? And one of the ways I think that we can determine whether or not we really see that, that, that God has really opened our eyes and he's shined a light into our life is in two ways. On the one hand, sight enables us, the light of Jesus enables us to see our sin for what it is without justification without trying to hide it without redefining it so that we feel more comfortable in our culture where we see with the light of christ we recognize our own ugliness and our flaws and for those who have been given, given sight for those whom the light of christ has shined down the more we live in the christian life the more of our ugliness we end up seeing know that and and you're like wow I didn't know I was that messed up. But that's proof that he's given you eyes to see. And that in that place, we are not supposed to hide it, defend it, or justify it. We are simply supposed to be honest, transparent, own it, and confess it. Not just to God, but also, if I read James right, to each other. That is to close, trusted brothers and sisters. And never to allow yourself to be in a place where you are hidden all by yourself and you're living a double life. That is, on the one hand, an evidence that you see that you're being transparent with your ugliness. But not in a way that brings you to despair. Because that light also illuminates the fact that God's grace is sufficient. That light also says that my, my, my sin was nailed, not in part, but in full, to the cross. That I am the recipient of God's mercy... That there is no sin that I have, will, or do commit that will ever keep me from his presence. That's the, that's the grace. And so as this grows, as we grow in our, our understanding of how jacked we are, at the same time, we grow in our awareness of how gracious and loving God is. That's light shining in both of its components of revealing sin and revealing grace in Christ, the forgiving, transforming grace. That is evidence that light is in your life and you're seeing things properly the temptation though brothers and sisters especially if you live longer in the faith is to be less transparent and as things begin to happen in your life which are not right you begin to hide and isolate and pretty soon you find yourself living a double life and when you do that there's a blinding that takes place you're not really seeing things neither on the sin side or the grace side And life shrivels up. So the question for us again is, am I seeing or am I blind? Am I seeing or have I compromised? And my eyes see a little bit but not very much anymore. And this would be the day that the Lord would say to you, listen, it's time to come back into the light. And let who I am reveal both your sin, don't be afraid of it. Because in revealing that to you, and you being transparent with me and others, at the same time, I'm going to show you grace that you've never seen before. So which is it? Are you in the light? Are you pretending? Are you living a double life? This is a a word for all of us in here. It's a sobering one. And I pray that you'll be able to answer it honestly this morning before God. And and most, most importantly of all, if that is you, come back into the light. Come into the light. I'm going to pray. And after I do, if, if there are those who'd be willing to pray for others, come to these two corners. And if you want to be prayed for for anything, maybe it's healing, maybe it's encouragement, maybe it's strength, maybe it's forgiveness, whatever it is, take this time as we continue in worship before God having heard the word to respond um to him and be prayed for. Gracious Father, I thank you for your kindness. I'm thankful that you have given to us truth which pierces to the very marrow, to the inner part of the bone, so that we might understand the thoughts and intents of our hearts. Holy Spirit, I ask that you do your work of cleansing and reviving us. Prepare us, Lord, for the stuff that comes out as a result of that process. But allow us to live in the fullness of your light. Allow us to live by faith in Jesus, who is the light of the world. Christ's name. Amen.